medical department only to go to the bench and we are more than a dozen. We don't train, we only recover. That's a, that's a situation. Preparation, hard work, confidence in overcoming those difficult moments. Today we're still outside Liverpool and we are going to the first part of the medical test. Welcome to this Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. I'm Andrew Schwiek, a doctor in London and your host for today's podcast. Today, I am delighted to be joined by Sarah Murray. Sarah is currently Women's Senior Psychologist at Brighton and Hove Albion Football Club, working with the first team in the WSL top tier. Sarah graduated with a degree in sports science and then completed a PGCE in PE teaching. After eight years as a physical education teacher, she decided to pursue her passion for the mental side of performance and completed an MSc in sports psychology at Brunel University, going on to gain basis accreditation. Before going full-time in football, she ran her own consultancy, working with both individual athletes and teams, including England cricket, professional golfers, England athletics, AASE programmes, England lacrosse, Football's Referees Association and Sports Coach UK. Sarah has many years coaching and playing experience in sport, including having played National League hockey and played at regional level in cricket, tennis and football. Thank you for joining us today, Sarah. Thanks very much. Nice to be here. Thank you. Um, today we're, we're going to discuss a little bit more about your, your experiences today as well as uh, sports psychology, which I know will be of uh, great interest to, to our listeners. So following on from, from the intro, do you mind telling us a little bit about your, your journey today? Yeah, sure. No, thing. no problem. Um, so, so I guess you, you sort of, you came up to the point where um, I found myself um, unplanned in full-time professional football. Um, so as a performance psychologist, um, so we're going back to 2013 and I was fortunate enough to, to have been offered a, a full-time role with Brighton Hove Albion, which at the time was incredibly rare. Um, there were only a couple of other full-time performance psychologists in, in football anywhere in the country. Um, and it was the first time that the club had had a performance psychologist um, on that sort of level. I think they'd had uh, some workshops here and there, but they were really keen that if they were going to look into the mental side of the game and support players with that, they were going to do it properly with somebody full time and a full program. So I think, um, to be honest, it probably took the first four or five years to really work out where does this sit within the club? Uh, where will it add most value? Um, who would I be working most closely alongside? Um, and, and between myself and my colleagues in the sports science and medical department, my colleagues in the coaching and academy departments, we sort of uh, figured out where, where it adds value and, and where the role is, is best suited. Um, and then, you know, I was fortunate enough to be able to build the department and, and employ other performance psychologists within the, um, within the club to support the work that we did. And, and as, time, as time passed, it was genuinely the most uh, privileged experience that, that I've had to be able to, to build that department, um, particularly within the academy. So under 23s down is where the focus of performance psychology was. Um, and alongside a little bit of lecturing, um, just to, to keep my hand in with the latest applied research, um, it, it's been a great journey so far. That's great and really, really interesting to hear about your background there, Sarah. And Kind of delving a little bit more into the, the performance psychology side of things, um, 
what is it about the, the narrative of well-being and, and elite performance that's important? What, what is it? What isn't it? And, you know, your take on that. Mm. Um, I think that the, this is something that I've, I've spoken passionately and, and sort of worked really hard with over the, the last uh, few years, particularly uh, since being in football. And it's the idea, I think, of um, there's a historic narrative of, of well-being or performance um, that we're shifting away from. And we're shifting away from very quickly, both within football, but culturally within, within performance sport and actually um, within society more broadly, I'd say. Um, and I, and I think after years of, of, of almost battling to, to, um, to acknowledge how well-being supports performance, um, I was really, really keen to shift the narrative and actually have well-being as a key part of performance. Um, certainly, it, if we have well-being without performance, then, then we're not a high-performing elite football, football environment, of course, because we have to have the performance piece. But equally, if we have performance and we're, our focus is heavily on performance without a well-being underpinning, then we end up in, in sort of the historical cases of, of burnout and you know worst case scenario some of the historical um, mental health problems that athletes have had when well-being hasn't been a part of the conversation or hasn't been a narrative so I, I think this this idea of bringing well-being into the performance environment deliberately um, as a key part of, of supporting athletes to perform is is absolutely invaluable that's interesting and I think obviously there's been, there's been lots of media attention and we know we've seen the recent article from Sky Sports about psychology and sport and if it's a missed opportunity in, in the English game. Why do you think now is, is, is really the time for performance psychology in, in sport as well as football? Um, I think it's everything comes comes around in cycles and, and it's performance psychology has been around for, for decades, but, but there's, there's no question that, that potentially the last to the table in terms of really utilizing it as a sport, you could argue has been football. Um, but, but what I love about the game and, and about football is that once they do get hold of something, they generally will, will, will go all in and, and run with it. And, and many football clubs are now, you know, running some, running some fantastic performance site programs, getting some really, really great um, professionals in to work in this space. But I think um, the, the, the fluffy stuff, as I've heard it called, the, the fluffy stuff that, you know, do you wear a white coat and then players come in and, and cry on your sofa? And, and a lot of the cultural assumptions around the word psychologist, even, it, it takes a long time to break those down um, for then actually a performance psychologist to, to work into a, a sports space and, and particularly football, which is where I've spent the last eight years, um, as being normal, um, as being something whereby you know, an athlete will have access to great physios, doctors, sports scientists, nutritionists, um, and actually to have a performance psychologist as part of that um, MDT team is just the norm at, at Brighton, certainly. And I think now across wider, more broadly in football, um, we're seeing less and less news articles, which is really pleasing to see whereby it becomes a um, an article on BBC Sport or perhaps Sky Sports that, that X footballer that's a professional footballer goes to see it seeks a psychologist um whereas if that footballer is is struggling with his change of pace his 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 speed whatever it might be i'm sure it wouldn't be a story that he's gone to see a sports scientist um because actually you know there, there's no difference um 
So, so I think it, it's coming. Um, the pandemic, there's no question that, you know, as I, as we record this today, we're, we're still in a lockdown um, and we have been for you know, the best part of a year. And there's no question that it's accelerated the conversation of mental health and well-being just more broadly in, in society and self-care and, and a realization of how this can then support performance. Um, so, you know, mental recovery, physical recovery for the players that I work with are equally in my environment, they're, they're equally valued um, and measured as, as something that will then support the performance on Sunday. That's interesting. And I, I think, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely an integral part of the whole performance uh, picture. Um, I know I recently listened myself to a podcast, the High Performance Podcast with Tyrone Mings, and he was explaining, you know, some of the, the barriers before, go, you know, kind of seeking psychology and how he now finds it as part of the integral piece to, to his overall performance picture. So I think it's, it's partly of those breaking down barriers, which is great to hear. What are, what are some of the challenges that you found, I suppose, uh, in regards to trying to, to tackle down some of those barriers, um, especially now in the, in the current era? You've mentioned COVID, but kind of other, other things associated as well. Yeah, certainly. I mean, if I take myself back to when I when I first came into to a full time role as a performance psychologist, um, what I expected and, and my reality were, were quite different. So what I expected to walk into was an environment that was high performance, high performance professional football male dominated. So as a female, as a psychologist, um, you know, when we have the ologist on the end of our job title, it can be quite unhelpful, I have found. Um, and so I, I actually expected that there might be a lot of blocks and barriers to the work that I was doing and the way that I wanted to support athletes and, and staff alike. The reality was that there wasn't. Um, you know, I'm, I'm very fortunate that actually I work in an environment that is incredibly open to supporting not just the, the, the players within the club, but the staff as well. And so those blocks and barriers that I thought I might face, I haven't. That said, I can only speak from my reality and that's been my reality. And I, and I have colleagues that have, have not been so fortunate and, and have had um, far greater struggles with integrating performance psychology into a, into a performance environment and, and really breaking down those, that idea of, of it being for the weak, breaking down that idea of it being for, for simply issues-based um, problems. Um, and I think, on a personal level, coming from a performance background and, and playing to a, a fairly good level myself in hockey and, and always being performance focused has helped me in terms of my understanding of the performance culture and actually working with somebody, whether they are in a fantastic space, so they're you know, mentally in a great space and, and there's always work to be done to can that be better. Equally, if somebody is struggling and they're not in a great space, is there work to be done to actually bring them into a better space uh, to be able to perform on a Saturday or on a Sunday. So I guess um, coming in from, from the angle that I, I have done, um, the, the blocks and barriers weren't necessarily there. But culturally, to seek help, culturally to, to go and see a psychologist or a psychiatrist in the UK is, is still not something that, that, um, that has happened or been talked about for decades. Whereas if we look at America and other countries whereby it's the norm, everybody has a psychiatrist, everyone has a psychologist, I appreciate that's a sweeping generalization. Um, however, it's it certainly, um, it, it's part of their, their culture. And, and for us, this, the open conversation around mental health that's happening at the moment, um, and actually the way in which from a, an athletic point of view, athletes can be supported by looking after it, is just helping us to, to break down those barriers and, and to make it part of something that, that just can support 
the human, the, the, the man behind the shirt, the girl behind the shirt, which ultimately then, when they step onto a pitch um, or a court, is going to support them to perform. That's brilliant. And, you know, we've mentioned your wealth of experience across a, a variety of sports there, which kind of leads on to the next question of how does psychology look when it's integrated into, into a high performance environment? Oh my goodness. I, th I think that's, that's something else that as a profession we've probably struggled with because it can look so different because it is very much dependent on, on the person, on the, the psychologist, on their, their philosophy, their way of working um, as to how it looks in the environment. Um, so it, how it can look is, is traditionally it was based into sports science and medicine. And, and certainly when I joined Brighton, I was put into the sports science and medicine department as part of that department. But over the years, just found myself actually immersing myself in the world of the coaches and spending my time in and amongst, in and amongst the coaching staff to then become actually a member of that department, although working across. So, so when sports psychology is integrated into, into a, um, any kind of sport, I think it's dependent on you know, what are the needs of, of that organization or that particular team, that, that individual, um, what is it that they're wanting to, to get from it. And I think it's a case of, of making sure that the needs of the organization are met by the sports psychologist, because certainly if there's a disconnect or, or there's, there's not a, a fit between the philosophies and the values of, of the sports psychologist coming in and what they see as, as their role, if it doesn't connect with what the organization wants, then, you know, same with any, with, with any profession, it, it's not going to be as effective. So broadly speaking, it, it's looking at working um, across the MDT, supporting staff, supporting coaches, um, and certainly for me, one of the other shifts over the last eight years is that I'm far more staff facing now than I probably would have been um, 10 years ago, where I, I was a little more traditional, I suppose, in terms of working with the athlete, working with the, the young footballer one to one and supporting him. And then, you know, that that was it. Um, working at a systems and organizational level now as a performance psychologist is far more common. And actually, if we think about the long term impact of having performance psychology, mental health and well-being embedded into elite environments, um, then then that's that's the way forward to do it from a systems level to work with the coaches to support the the sports scientists that you know you've had some some great um, guys on this podcast already that that I've worked closely with it um, within my role at Brighton even and and yeah so definitely holistic. That's great, and you've kind of mentioned towards the end there that it's been more staff facing. So mm. if looking at an athlete or a coach and trying to get buy in. Um, how how do you find that that element? Any kind of skills or tips in regards to getting buy-in, um, and what, what do you define, I suppose, as the performance benefits to them? Yeah, so I mean, if I were to anecdotally think about um, the amount of conversations that that I would overhear, and that, that many of your listeners would would overhear in their sports environment, you know, coach to coach, player to coach player to player so many of the conversations are based in the mentality the mindset of the of the player um, you know so many of them um, and so actually with there's massive value placed on on the the, the mindset and the mental side of the game um, however because it's psychology because there's an ology it's you know there, there's not necessarily it's not as data driven as sports science so it's harder to say well you know what the psychologist can come in and, and and this data here will be improved in six months time and it's really easier for us all to see and understand so therefore there's been this 
almost a, a fear of we really value it, but we're not quite sure how it works or what to do with it. So we're not too sure if we want to bring it in. Although, you know, as I said, all the conversations are, are driven towards, a lot of them are driven towards the, the mentality side of the game. So to get buy-in, I think it's, it's no more or less than supporting coaches to, to get the best from, from themselves, uh, to get the best from the players that are around them. Um, and the more we know and understand about our athletes and understand the, their context, their journey, and, and why they do what they do, why do they behave as they do on, on a match day? Why does, why does that member of staff um, you know, perform so well in this environment and, and do this, but, but maybe struggle here? The more we understand about people, ultimately the people behind the badge, the, the more we are going to find those connections um, and actually be able to support them to get the best out of themselves and understand themselves when they're asked to step up on a, on a Sunday or a Saturday on a match day um, in a high pressure situation and, and perform and do their role. So really, I guess it's just about these formulating, formulating on players, formulating on staff, um, you know, how do we get the best out of them? Um, what are their protective factors in life? What's their context? What's their journey? Um, and how do they, how do they, um, feel and act and, and sound in our environment when they're at their best and how do we help them to do that? It's really interesting. I think uh, yeah, it's, it's a really um, kind of strong message. A lot of a lot of conversations, even a lot of the podcasts around sport are really associated with kind of the, the mindset and mm. uh, almost a, a, you know, a non-negotiable really having that psychology element and a, and a professional that's experienced in that environment. You... Kind of just to finish off, I know you, you've you know you've worked across age groups, you've worked across uh, yeah. individual team sport, and um, you've worked across the men's and the women's game, um, as well as across mm. a variety of sports generally. What are kind of the the things that you found most useful uh, to transfer across to football, um, and I suppose what are the similarities and some of the the differences? I know that's quite a difficult question, but <laughs> I, I will do my best. Um, I, I think ultimately whilst there are contextual differences in terms of what happens for an athlete in their experience, you know, whether they are um, a, a real tennis player or, or they're a lacrosse player or a golfer, um, their environment might be slightly different, but ultimately many of the skills needed to be able to, to be at your best and understand yourself in a performance environment actually remain quite similar across, across many of the sports. Um, and some of the, some of the transferable things I'd, I've taken from other sports into football would be um, understanding the, the culture and, and actually understanding what's going on for the people in that world. So, so for me to, to come in and, and think that, that I know everything about football as a professional, um, absolutely not. You know, I've learned along the way. Um, I don't need to have played um, elite level football to, to be able to walk into to football and, and make some impact. Um, so it's a two-way learning process. And I think one of the most uh, influential experiences I had early on would have been um, as a young practitioner, working across lots and lots of sports, so um, whilst I, I was really lucky and I, and I worked with uh, England women's cricket pathway and, and uh, GB real tennis and, and some elite golfers, I also worked with a lot of grassroots athletes. Um, and so the transferable skills from there, if I was to say that the absolute top transferable skill, it would have been that ultimately I work with human beings. So whether it's our conversation today, whether it's an under nine 
um, an under nine tennis player playing for, for their local club or whether it's a, a 32 year old professional male footballer that, that's working, that's in the premiership, the value of working with the human in front of them as a human first and athlete second doesn't change for me. So, I mean, that's transferable across all contexts, across any performance environment, be it sport, business, um, be it, you know, cricket to, to football. That's brilliant, Sarah. And thank you very much for, for joining us today. I think that's been a really good insight into uh, performance psychology within, within the men's game as well as across sports. Um, I think will be applicable to, to those working in academy football, men's football, women's football, as well as other sports as well. Listeners, I'll put up the links to the papers mentioned. Uh, and if you enjoyed today, please subscribe to the FMPA on our Spotify and SoundCloud accounts where you can reach all of our podcasts. Alternatively, our podcasts are also available for free via the podcast section of the FMPA website. Thanks again, Sarah, and you've been listening to the Football Medicine and Performance Podcast. Have a great day.